One Minnesota is in our blood. It is born of our shared values. It's sewn into the fabrics of our communities. It is driven by the collective good and fueled by our innovation. One Minnesota is who we are. We need to foster it together. This is not a state that fears the future. We create the future. Let's get creating, Minnesota. Thank you. It has been a busy week of political transition in Minnesota. The Tim Walls era has officially begun, and the 2019 legislative session is moving full steam ahead. Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. This legislative session will be one to watch as Governor Walls and the new leaders try to avoid the gridlock that has plagued legislatures of the past. In his inaugural address on Monday, Walls promised to be a governor who works for everyone, regardless of who they voted for in November. On the way to the stage to be sworn in as Minnesota's 41st governor, Tim Walls walked down an aisle lined with school teachers. The former school teacher and football coach says it illustrates that education will be his top priority. Foundational to our past, present, and future is the quality of our people, and that all begins with education. Every student in Minnesota deserves the opportunity to learn in the best schools in the country with caring, qualified teachers. Wall says he wants to make Minnesota the education state. And as he was sworn in along with Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, the first Native American elected to statewide office in the nation, Wall said the state has to work harder to erase racial disparities in education. Disparities in our educational system based on geography, race, our economic status, hold back not only our students, but our entire state from reaching its full potential. That's why we must dedicate ourselves now that we must make Minnesota the education state for all children, black, white, brown, indigenous. Walls also told the audience at the Fitzgerald Theater he believes health care is a basic human right. And he says the state can do better in delivering health care. As Minnesotans, we can figure out how to deliver health care more effectively, more affordably, and with better results. We can and must ensure that every Minnesotan has access to high-quality and affordable health care. While education and health care were two of the main themes of the governor's inaugural address, he also talked about how it's going to take bipartisanship, working with Democrats who control the House and Republicans who control the Senate. The Minnesota legislative agenda is packed and will take every day of the next four months to get it all done. The top priority is passing a two-year budget. On Tuesday, the top priority of the House and Senate was electing key new legislative leaders. The 2019 legislative session in the Minnesota House is notable for 39 new members, almost a third of the membership. To the best of your ability, so help you God. I do. Congratulations. And for election of Melissa Hortman as House Speaker, just the third woman to hold that position in Minnesota. Hardworking Minnesotans deserve a hardworking legislature. I look forward to the work and the challenges ahead. Let's get to work. Over in the Minnesota Senate, Jeremy Miller of Winona was sworn in as the new Senate president. Senator Paul Gazelka remains majority leader. 
The top priority of the House and Senate will be passing a nearly $50 billion two-year budget, but they'll also pursue several other priorities. First, we're looking at the major priorities of Minnesotans. That's education, health care, economic prosperity, investing in infrastructure. Hortman says there's not a lot of urgency to reform the state tax code to align with the new federal tax law because it's too late for this tax season. But Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd says it should still be a top priority. I hope that when we pass it, whenever we pass it, that we make it retroactive. And if it means that Minnesotans have to file an amendment to get the money they deserve, I hope that we do that. Now, the push to pass new gun laws got a lot of attention during the first day of the session as well. Protesters for and against gun control rallied in the Capitol Rotunda. Supporters want criminal background checks on all gun sales. They also want red flag legislation, which would let family members or law enforcement petition for temporary removal of guns from people who might pose a risk to themselves or others. We know that criminal background checks and extreme risk protection orders, otherwise known as red flag laws, do and will work. If the Second Amendment is destroyed, only criminals will have guns. Supporters of gun rights, as you heard, will oppose many of those new control measures, if not all of them. Republican House Minority Leader Kurt Dowd says he's willing to consider legislation, but only if it also protects the rights of gun owners. In addition to gun control, House DFL leaders unveiled a top 10 list of bills they plan to pursue this session. At least half could have some sort of financial impact, including a Minnesota Care health insurance buy-in, education and early childhood funding, paid family and medical leave, and rural broadband expansion. Minnesota is a really strong state, but we know it can be even better. And that economic prosperity hasn't reached all families in all corners of the state. It's just intensely disappointing that with a $1.5 billion budget surplus, there is no proposal for tax relief. Republican senators who, contr who control the Senate by one seat also plan to pursue bills to bring Minnesota's tax code into sync with the new federal tax law. They also want to strengthen mental health programs, reduce health care costs, and get rid of waste in the state's IT programs. University of Minnesota President Eric Kaler made his last budget request to the state legislature. This is just the first step in a long budget process at the Capitol this year. Kaler says he's determined to leave the university on firm financial footing by the time he leaves office June 30th. Simon says to clap for President Kaler. <laughs> university of Minnesota researchers are experimenting with robotics to find ways to diagnose children with autism at an earlier age. Will toddlers interact with a robot in a way that might tell us something about the way that they're going to be interacting with, with uh, caregivers and peers later? That might not only lead to early diagnosis, but give doctors a chance to treat autism more effectively in young children that will improve their lives in later years. It's that kind of research U of M President Eric Kaler says makes the university such a valuable institution. I firmly believe that the future of the state of Minnesota begins at the University of Minnesota. Kaler proposes an increase of $57 million in operating funds over the next two years, about a 6.7% increase. He also proposes $232 million for renovation and replacement of aging buildings. Kaler says state investment in the University of Minnesota pays big dividends. We deliver on what we promise to do. 
The University of Minnesota contributes more than $8.6 billion a year in economic activity to the state of Minnesota. The U of M budget request is actually $87 million because the $30 million they're asking for in the first year would also be carried over in the second. President Kaler says his preliminary budget plan calls for holding tuition increases in the Twin Cities to about 2% with no increase for other U of M campuses around the state. It's another byproduct of the Me Too movement, state lawmakers being required to take part in sexual harassment training. The resignations of Republican Representative Tony Cornish and Democratic Senator Dan Schoen in 2017 showed this was a bipartisan problem. So all members of the Minnesota House and Senate now go through the annual training. It's certainly not business as usual in the Minnesota legislature, not when it comes to the issue of sexual harassment. We wanted to show the public that the Minnesota House was going to set a higher standard for not only ourselves, but for uh, everybody that comes into our Capitol complex. Mandatory sexual harassment training was implemented by Representative Kurt Doubt when he was House Speaker last year. I hope members find it uh, helpful. I think they do. Um, but we want to show the public that we take it really seriously, and we have a, a zero-tolerance policy uh, for sexual harassment here at the Capitol. This year's training was planned even before a survey of House members and staff was released last month, showing that 20%, or one in five people who responded, said they'd experienced or witnessed sexual harassment in the workplace. Definitely was an astonishing statistic. Also a little bit astonishing, only about half of the members responded to the survey. It came in the middle of the election season, so we will definitely do that again. New DFL House Speaker Melissa Hortman says the resignations of two lawmakers in 2017 first brought the problem to light. I think there was a disconnect, right? Um, I think a lot of men thought there was nothing wrong, and a lot of women thought this is ridiculous. At a certain point, we're just not going to take it anymore. And that moment came in the fall of 2017. In two three-hour sessions, lawmakers learned what situations and actions constitute sexual harassment. We're acting now, and from this day forward, we're all on the same page. When in doubt, report, and we're going to take everything seriously. And the Minnesota Senate will undergo similar training during sessions in late January and early February. Coming up, we'll be joined by Annette Meeks and our newest analyst, Andrea Macros, for political analysis. You bet my underwear union made in the USA. And we pay tribute to one of the most memorable and colorful state representatives in Minnesota history, Tom Rukavina. This week, House lawmakers took a moment to remember former state representative Tom Rukavina. He passed away Monday at the age of 68 following a battle with leukemia. Both Republican and Democratic lawmakers wore union Made in America buttons with an image of Rukavina and spoke fondly of the passionate lawmaker from the Iron Range. We lost a good friend. We lost a great Minnesotan for a couple reasons I say that because Tommy Rukavina cared about people. And what else do you need to say? My whole life with politics, it's always been Tom Rukavina. He was larger than life. It's said that uh, people don't care what you know until they know you care. Well, Tommy knew a lot, but he even cared more. You see this money in front of it. Rukavina also ran for governor in 2010 and served most recently as a St. Louis County Commissioner for four years. Funeral services will take place Saturday in his hometown 
of Virginia, Minnesota. In the TV business, Rukavina was considered a soundbite machine, delivering plenty of one-liners and zingers during his time as a lawmaker. Here are just a few of the best soundbites and exchanges we captured and showed you over the years here on At Issue. Distinguished guests, distinguished legislators, and Representative Rukavina. Representative Rukavina, you know, I, I agree with you halfway. Love is in the air. This could be the beginning of a lovely relationship, Commissioner. <laughs> Representative Rukavina, I really hope you use your seatbelt all the time because I really like you. Because I was going to ask Representative Khan why she doesn't wear a helmet because she's obviously been banging herself on the head with some of the arguments she makes. Representative Palenti, since you're standing over there, can I call you good looking if you leave me alone? Don't sing it, bring it. I'm short and ugly, you're tall and handsome. When I leave Croatia, you know the cows say moo. I come to America, the cows say moo. Even the cow talk two language, you only talk one, so how smart you be? Zero percent of zero is zero, Representative Oscar. You said it to me a few hours ago. <laughs> zero percent of hardly nothing is still hardly nothing. Zero percent of a little bit is still a little bit. You bet my underwear union made in the USA. I was so impressed that I went out and I bought a pair of underwear that are union made. I was in front of the mirror, crouching down, giving it my fighting pose. And my wife said, what are you doing? What in the heck is this? It's, are we talking about beam me up, Scotty, or what's going on here? We just can't go by feelings, Representative Nothing more than feelings. Tom Rukavina, 1950 to 2019. Uh, a wonderful man. Uh, anybody who encountered him even briefly at the state capitol, knows what a great guy he was. Joining me today, Andrea Macros and Annette Meeks. We'll talk more about Andrea here in a minute, but you knew Tom Rukavina. Uh, Democrats revered him. Even Republicans loved him. I think that's one thing everybody at the Capitol had in common is everybody had the Tom Rukavina story, and you knew when he got up to speak, you would listen. Yeah, and it's funny how many stories I heard this week. People who only met him briefly, maybe, maybe in an elevator, you know, just for a brief elevator ride, he would say things that would leave an impression and it would, be, would become a, a Tom Rukavina story. Oh, everybody had their own Tom Rukavina story. But the other thing about him was he cared so passionately about his people and his policies that that made him a fun sparring partner, as you saw from many of the Republicans that had those encounters. He was fun to debate. And what I always heard was he could have sharp differences with a Republican, and they could battle and argue on the House floor, and then they'd be out having lunch afterwards or dinner or going out for a beer. Uh, he was just one of those throwbacks to a time when you could differ politically but get along personally. And at the end of the day, that's why he would both get things done, have his message heard, and it's why you hear those heartfelt words about him as we mourn his loss. And my guess is his funeral service will be one of the funnest funeral services <laughs> you could ever attend because I, everybody's got a story. I would bet he'd want it that way because his life was so dedicated to getting things done and having a little fun along the way. Yeah, well, he certainly will be missed. Well, we would like to welcome Andrea Macros, who many of you may recall, she worked for Governor Dayton. She worked for First 
first lady, uh, Michelle Obama, and most recently uh, was working on the Super Bowl committee. Uh, you're a triple threat, <laughs> at least, at least. But using my powers to promote Minnesota, and I wouldn't be true to the Bull North brand if I didn't get that in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think I heard Governor Walls use the Bull North. Was that in his inaugural address? It was in his inaugural address, and you know we've gone we've gone international with Bold yeah. North, and we're really living that brand. Well, that is cool. I, I I thought maybe the Super Bowl was coming back again already <laughs> oh, when I heard the oh governor gosh. say that. Uh, Annette and Andrea, you saw what went on at the Capitol this week. It was a lot of bipartisanship in the early going, but you could already already tell they're starting to talk about some differences. And Annette, when it comes to the priorities of the DFL majority in the House, uh, they talked about ten bills they want to start with. None of them had to do with tax relief, and that bothered some Republicans. Well, and I also thought it was interesting they didn't closely align with Governor Waltz's agenda. I thought that was striking that Governor Waltz has said all along gas tax is one of his top three priorities, and I heard no mention of that from the House DFL leadership. So I think they've got some work to do in coordinating their messages, and frankly, I think it's really hard to promote a tax increase with a budget surplus, but they, they'll dig in in the coming weeks and get their work done. And we did ask about that. They said that is on their list of priorities, but that's one of the bigger uh, funding packages that will be coming up, the transportation funding package, and I'm sure they'll, they'll get to that. But uh, were you surprised that there wasn't much talk about uh, taxes in their top 10 bills, or is it just too soon for that? You know, I think, for starters, we're lucky that Governor Dayton set them up very well with a healthy budget going into this year. And so working off of that, I really think their priority is the one that Governor Walls set forward, which is one Minnesota, and finding the issues that can bring people together to start with. He made an interesting comment at uh, the chamber dinner where he talked about not wanting to be a poker player and wanting to put his cards on the table and find common ground. And I think there were some items of common ground, even in those DFL uh, and Republican lists, things like uh, infrastructure and broadband. And I think everybody agrees that the cost of healthcare is just too high. Now, they may disagree on how that gets done, but I think there's some good places to start. And I think they're also uh, cognizant of the fact that there's another budget forecast coming out in February, and those are the numbers they're actually going to work on a budget. So maybe it's a little too soon to talk about tax relief in case the surplus disappears. Well, I think there's also some bigger issues they will agree upon, and that's figuring out how the tax conformity bill is going to move forward. Uh, that's something really urgent, and I, I commend former Speaker Doubt for mentioning that right off the bat. We've got to get that done. And from there, we can wait when the February forecast comes out and move forward on some of the budget items. Just 15 seconds left. Are you hopeful for a productive session with this new configuration? You know, we're unique in the fact that we're the only divided legislature in the country, but I think that really does present an opportunity to get things done. I think coming off the 2018 election, and again, with Governor Walz's message of one Minnesota, we're starting off from a point of let's work together, get things done for the people. All right. Andrea Makros, great to have you here. Can't wait to have you back. Annette Meeks, always good to have you here. And uh, we'll be talking to you guys during the session. Up next, Mike Erlinson and Andy Brem will join me for Face Off. We'll be back in two minutes. And welcome back. Time now for Face Off. We're going to talk, of course, about the legislative session with Mike Erlinson and Andy Brem. And we learned a lot about what might happen in the legislative session during the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce dinner at the St. Paul River Center on, what night was that, Wednesday night? Wednesday. Uh, I was there with Mike Erlinson, and we ran into the governor. I ran into him because he was at my table. No, <laughs> sorry, Mike. Uh, I was one of the, the MCs of this event. You can see 1,700 of Mike Erlinson's closest friends were there. And then, of course, I did a panel discussion with the legislative leaders. And it was interesting to listen uh, to them. You know, every year when there's a new legislature and you got some new leaders and new roles, uh, what did you take away from their ability to work together, do you think? 
I thought it was one of the more friendly conversations that I've seen between legislative leaders in really decades. Uh, you know, there was a lot of camaraderie. There was, a, I think, honest, you know, we've already talked about working things out together. So I thought it was very sincere. And I thought, you know, as you start the first couple days of the legislative session, uh, it's not been as contentious as people might otherwise think. And I think that's because of the personalities. And of course, the chamber uh, more aligned with the Republican Party than Democrats. So when a Democratic governor comes in, it's often in some ways considered enemy territory. But Governor Walls seemed to genuinely get along pretty well with the business leaders. Yeah, I mean, I think Governor Walls understands that a healthy business community is good for all Minnesotans. I think a less kind of anti-business uh, message that Governor Dayton had in his campaign. So, you know, they welcome with open arms. And, you know, again, we wish him well. Uh, I think what I was most impressed with are, you know, the Republican leadership, not talking about how they're going to regain majorities or how they're going to position things, but really how they can work together to get things done. I think that's what Minnesotans expect. They're kind of tired of politics as usual. So whether you're in the minority or majority, the expectations is that results get delivered. In the first week or two of a legislative session, always kind of a honeymoon period, but you know what's coming <laughs> between Democrats and Republicans. There's going to be a battle over taxes. And the gas tax and other taxes involved with the general fund budget, how do you think that's going to play out? Well, I think they'll make some progress on taxes. I mean, I think when you ask them the question about this, they all admitted it will probably be in May by the time they get around to that. Uh, but I think the majority of people on both sides want to do the tax conformity, so I think that could get done. Uh, if it doesn't, I, it, you know, they'll get to it the next year, I'm suspecting, after people do their income taxes in 2019 and everybody's taxes go up. Um, so, you know, you know, again, I think we'll get to tax conformity. The gas tax, I mean, all bets are off on that, but, you know, you've got Margaret Anderson Kelleher has proved pretty successful. And the governor has sounded like he's willing to listen to other revenue options other than the gas tax, but the question is, what's that going to be? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a very tough battle. I, I think Republicans welcome the conversation. At the end of the day, we have a very big government, a very expensive government, and so I think this is an opportunity for Republicans to speak a little bit more broadly and say, hey, do you realize that we're one of the top tax states in the country? Maybe it's time to ta stop talking about revenue and, and, and talk about spending a little bit smarter. Ten seconds for each one of you. Your favorite memory of Tom Rukavina. Well, I probably on the House floor uh, when they were debating dropping the uh, alcohol from 0.10 to 0.08, and Tommy stood up and pounded his fist on the table and said, we wake up at 0.08 on the Iron Range. <laughs> one of his memorable lines. That, I don't think I can top that one, but, you know, a great, great legacy in this state, somebody who is genuine to his values and his personality and the people he represents. I hope we can get more people like that in St. Paul. Absolutely. He will be missed. No question about it. Andy and Mike, thanks for being here. Up next, a miracle in western Wisconsin. A teenager missing for nearly three months found alive. It's being called a miracle. 13-year-old Jamie Kloss, who'd been missing for nearly three months, found alive this week near the town of Gordon, Wisconsin. She was able to escape from where she was being held captive and get help from a woman walking her dog. Jamie's family and friends in Barron, Wisconsin, say they never gave up hope that she would be found alive. We will, of course, have much more throughout the week on Jamie's story now that she is back with her loved ones. And that's all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.